I welcome you to episode 52 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began his career within the industry as a fourth generation remover after a non-working three-night trip away to Scotland at the tender age of 11 with his grandfather in his removal truck. We discuss his challenges, what he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give starting out again, his predictions for the next five years and what he does outside of the workplace. And as always, we end with a couple of funny moving stories regarding divorce cases. My guest this episode is Andy Shotbolt, Managing Director of Britannia Reeves. Enjoy. Good morning, Andy. Welcome to Moving Matters. Hi, Colin. Nice to see you. And you. And you. (laughs) Can you tell everybody about yourself and the length of time within the industry? Yeah, uh, I'm Andy Shotbolt, and I work for Britannia Reeves of Petersfield. Live in Portsmouth, which I've done for most of my life, with my wife Julie of 34 years, and our little cocker spaniel Blair. And I have two daughters, two grandchildren, and another grandchild on the way. Oh wow! How many of them are in the business? Uh, recently. Gemma, my eldest daughter, has joined us over the last year. So how did you get started in the industry then, Andy? Well, it's all I've ever done. And I did my, I was going back over this actually, and uh, I did my first move, which was a nice little trip of three nights away to Scotland with my grandfather when I was 11. So I've been in it a little while now. So it was a not an actual working trip, but it's quite exciting to go away with your grandfather and live in a truck for three nights. So your grandfather was a removal man? Yep. And he worked for White and & Company. Uh, and actually, when I joined White's, I was the fourth direct generation working for them. So my great-grandfather did, my grandfather did, my father did, and then I started there. And how long were you at White's for? Uh, in total, including time on the road, would be about 18 years. Wow. Having not achieved what I was supposed to achieve at school, because like a lot of people, because I worked in the holidays, unfortunately, like a lot of my friends didn't have money, I did. So that affected my schooling life and stopped my ambitions of becoming a marine biologist. Is that what you wanted to do? That is what I wanted to do. <laughs> that is so different to being a removal man. It couldn't be a lot different. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, having worked in the holidays, it was one of those things that just continued and eventually meant that after I didn't achieve what I wanted to, I ended up being a full-time porter and worked for Whites, as I said, or Curtis's, their subdivision there. But that'd be the Portsmouth one then, Curtis's? Yeah, which is where I said earlier on is where I've lived all my life pretty much, apart yeah. from periods of when I was younger and we lived abroad with my father because he was in the army. Cool. Yeah, removal to become a habit. Ultimately, you end up staying in it. Um, and as I think you've had lots of your other guests say, <laughs> unless, unless you're actually born into the business, no one decides that's what they want to do when they grow up. 
So following on from there, I had a brief stint at Holtz before returning back to White over in Southampton at the branch there and then ultimately into the head office before a couple of other bits and pieces, a couple of other companies in the meantime. But ultimately, 24 years ago, joined Reeves of Petersfield, or Britannia Reeves as is. Came into a bit of a culture shock when you find out that in the smaller business, everything's on your shoulders. (laughs) There is no accounts department. There's no HR department. Well, there is. It's you. (laughs) You are all of them. (laughs) So, but loved that aspect of it. And my intro into the world of the owner-operator. So how did you get involved with Reeves? With Reeves, um, I was looking for another position, shall we say, and Darren Reeves was running a business at the time and got my number from a friend of mine called Mike Lunn, who was running Pervers down in Gosport. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Darren asked Mike if he knew of anyone looking for a job. And he said, well, actually, funnily enough, I do. And he's local. Darren rang me up and offered me the job. I said I'd come along and have a chat with him and see what was involved. And that was pretty much it. Started a couple of weeks later. So let's just go back a minute. Yeah. With Reeves of Petersfield. Because they have been in Petersfield now for a number of years. I've known Reeves of Petersfield pre-Britannia. They were one of my first clients that I had the pleasure of installing yep, software in many, many moons ago. Exactly, with Andrew, and obviously his brother Michael running the tippers. Yeah. How did Reeves of Petersfield actually start all those years ago? Actually, that's something we've been delving into a little bit more lately. We're actually 125 years old this year. Get in. So... Just for our audience, I didn't visit 125 years ago. Just want to get that straight. I am getting on a bit, but I'm not 125. 120 years ago, the first software was installed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, an abacus. (laughs) So, yeah, in 1897, then Reeves, Robert, was told at the tender age of 19 that if he wanted his TV to get any better, he was going to have to move to the seaside. So he headed down what was the A3, heading for Portsmouth. Got as far as Petersfield, decided he liked it, and set up business in Petersfield. Originally doing rag and bone. Yeah. Proper rag and bone as well. So sitting the rags, taking the bones up to London on a cart and from blue and what have you, from the local abattoirs and things. And that's where it started, and they have been in Petersfield ever since. So it's quite an achievement to be family-owned and in the same town. For that long. They've been involved over the years in many different aspects. Removers and storage largely has been as a mainstay throughout that, but they've been involved in lots of different aspects of it in haulage, including delivering the meat for the local abattoirs. We actually found some photos of carcasses hanging up in the back of a removal truck being delivered from the abattoir. (laughs) They were sand and ballast merchants, which I think went along with their very successful for many years tipper truck operation i remember uh, that as yeah. you mentioned they had quite a fleet of tipper truck that also included attaching snow plows to the front of the tipper trucks for the local council to clear all the local roads during the winters when we used to actually have snow down here <laughs> that's a long time ago proper snow that is not the two yeah. inches that we panic about these days <laughs> 
So it's been quite varied, but as I said, removals and storage have been a mainstay for many, many years. And now that's what we concentrate on. We do all aspects of removals, so local, long distance, European, deep sea. We do a bit of office and commercial, not an awful lot, but it's for long-standing clients that we have. Storage side, we're on our own depot and our own site in Petersfield. As you'd expect, after all of those years, someone had the sense in the past to actually buy something. So we got two warehouses for containers holding around about 800, two smaller warehouses, which we recently converted to 24-7 self-storage. And that's the one thing that we're currently looking to expand. We're looking at the moment of actually building another self-store on site here because it's been quite successful. And in addition to that, we have a document destruction arm, which has become very successful over the last few years through Simply Shredding. On the removal side, we very much concentrate on providing a quality service. And as part of that, many years ago when I first took over, we made a very conscious decision that on all of our removals, we would only supply and use full-time staff. We don't use any agencies. We don't use any zero-hours contracts. Everybody that we use and everybody that we put out there is full-time employees, and we guarantee that to customers. At times, it does make us more expensive, but that's not a game that we play. What do you mean by that's not a game that you play? Trying to be the cheapest. Everything we do is to offer the correct service at the right price. Hurrah! And as I said, that does mean that all of my guys are full-time employees. They yeah. all get a wage. Yeah. Everything we do is done, as far as the guys are concerned, as well to make sure that they're not working silly hours as much as we possibly can in this industry. They have home lives. So we like to make sure that we look after the staff as well. How many staff do you have, Andy? 14. How many vehicles do you run? 10. But that includes, that includes low loaders, which we very much use as backup vehicles to the larger ones. So there's four low loaders in that as well. Yeah. So six larger vehicles, four low yeah. loaders. We use them as backups for the small ones. One for transport because we're invariably multi-staff jobs. Also, we use them a lot for plants and things and little overflows. They're a useful backup vehicle. And also, you know this area for trash shipping because we have some very large properties around here and none of them are designed to take anything more than a car. There's truth in that, I can tell you. <laughs> so tell me, do you still do the deliver the container to the door? No. We stopped that when we did the 24-7 access self-store. Right. It was very successful. It put us, we still get the odd inquiry for it. We try and get around it. It was very successful for a long time and it filled the niche for what we needed for the self-storage. Yeah. yeah. But then having built our own self-stores, it became superfluous. We wanted people to come to us. Yeah, yeah. And for many years, Reeves used to have the National Trust contract. Yeah. You still got that? We do work for them locally. Yeah. Because Reeves have done that for many, many years, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. Andrew Reeves was on the board for them and did a lot of advice for that. Yeah. So we did do that for many years. We do work for the local houses now pretty sure matt and i are still on their emergency contact list for all the local houses as well so if there's a problem they've got our mobile numbers and can call us out at any time yeah to go and assist with transport issues that's phone calls you never want to get no true but not the big national side of the national trust anymore okay i think that was very much an andrew personality thing with them 
And it was right up Andrew Street as well. It was right up Andrew Street. Yeah, yeah. So when did you join Britannia? Um, what was the deciding factor of Britannia? And why not stay? Why not stay at Rees of Petersfield? It's such a well-known company in the area, and then all of a sudden, oh, we're now Britannia. It was obviously very long established and very well known in the area. At the time we joined Britannia, Darren and Emma were running the company and they wanted to take it to another level. And that decision was made, I believe it was in about the mid-90s, so prior to my joining. So when I got here, it was already Britannia Reeves. Darren felt that it would provide a much more professional image to the public and as I always say to customers, it also gives us the best of both worlds. It allows us to be big when we want to. It gives us a lot of purchasing power and allows us to, through the group, work on prices and things a lot better. Yeah. But we are still a family-owned business. If there is one aspect of being a Britannia member, it's trying to get across to the customer that we are still a family-run business. No, absolutely. You haven't lost your identity at all, are you? <laughs> at the end of the day, in the area, you're still Reeves. Yeah, absolutely. You just drop the off Petersfield, yeah. but you're still Reeves. People remember Reeves of Petersfield, so Britannia absolutely. Reeves, it's all the same. We do work very hard on that, and we make sure that everybody knows that we are part of a cooperative and that we have got the success of the best of both worlds. We've got the backup behind us of the Britannia Group. It does allow us, and I think the primary driver for Darren was it allowed us access into overseas shipping. Yeah, yeah. Which we're very successful at now. So tell me more about your shredding side of the business. Shredding is something we started and started offering to archive clients as a nicety. Yeah. We started doing that. We picked up some commercial work, which included an awful lot of shredding. (laughs) So that jumped on the back end of that. And we started offering it to clients as an additional service. When we were going out and doing surveys, we would take the shredding bags with us and say to them, look, whilst you're sorting out for your move, if you've got some stuff to get rid of, pop it in this bag, we'll pick it up on the day. If not, pop the bag back to us and we'll charge you for it. If we pick it up on the day of the move, we get the move, we'll do it for free. Yeah. That then expanded to the local Petersfield network. People started popping in the office and saying, do you shred things? (laughs) Which obviously we did. And now I don't think a day goes by without someone coming in to buy bags or drop bags off. In addition to that, we have lots of local offices. We've got console bins in. We go around once a month and collect stuff up from them. And it's just, it's not a massive arm, but it puts us in front of a lot of customers and it's been very successful for us. And you do have your own shredding machine, don't you? Yeah. And it's really exciting the first five minutes. And after that, it's really (laughs) boring. (laughs) I remember coming down there once and there was a customer that was very excited about watching the documents be shredded. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, we do offer them the, the, the ability to... So we charge them more for the ability to stand and watch the shredded. <laughs> and they do insist on trying to chat with you whilst you're shredding and it's really noisy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so what challenges have you had to overcome then? Along with all the day-to-day things, I think... Which aren't that many, come on. What uh, can go wrong in a removal? Well, two years ago was fun. Um, (laughs) 
challenge of having nothing to do apart from hide in a warehouse and paint it out and get it ready to convert to a self-store whilst everybody else was on furlough. (laughs) I I thought long and hard about this because we all deal with challenges every day. But I think looking back on it many, many years ago, I was asked to go and on a Friday afternoon, I was asked to go to a branch of a company I was working for to see if I could sort out what the problems were because the manageress and the manager had run off together. Oh, my word. And I arrived on the Monday morning to find that, bless them, they'd emptied the filing cabinets. No. And rubbed everything out of the diary. So for the first week, I spent waiting for people to ring up to find out what moves were on that day. Oh, my word. (laughs) Literally phoning to say, where's my truck? Yeah, then you took the details from them and dispatched the next one. They'd also told all the staff that they were sacked on the Friday. Luckily, they came in on the Monday to find out what was happening. Oh, my word. And I kind of figured at that point, if I could cope with that, there was most things in removals I could cope with, especially as one of the vehicles that was in the depot was supposed to be delivering a couple hundred miles up country and the customer was ringing us to find out where that one was as well. Oh, my word. (laughs) It was good fun. Um, I don't think I've been shouted at quite as much. (laughs) But it was two weeks of problem solving, sorting it out, going through all the paperwork, getting it straight. And at the end of it, it was sorted. So, yeah, I think after that... Every day's been easy. Nothing was going to phase me after that. Wow. I think the only other recent job that we did that caused me a massive challenge was we moved an object for Portsmouth Navy Museum. I thought you were going to say that. And there's lots of photos floating around of it. But when we went to see, or when I went to see this four and a half ton bronze cannon off of HMS Victory that they wanted inside the museum, I offered to build the cradle for them, but they decided that they wanted to do that themselves. And they didn't follow my specs because they knew better. So instead of having nice swivel wheels down each side that would have allowed me to easily manoeuvre the cannon, they put the wheels in banks at each end. So (laughs) as we went round the corner, all the wheels were facing the same way and it would no longer go forward. And they'd also built it too low to the floor to get anything realistic underneath it to lift it up with. So we got it there. It was a lot of... um, Grunting and groaning, shall we say. (laughs) Wow. But we managed to straighten the wheels one by one at each bend going into the museum. And (laughs) after about four hours, it was where it was meant to be. And we breathed a huge sigh of relief. So, but yeah, four and a half ton of bronze cannon. It's a lot to maneuver in amongst other exhibits as well. Wow. (laughs) So, So they're probably the two biggest challenges I've had faced. But as I say, the first one, yeah, nothing fazed me after that. (laughs) (laughs) so if you could change anything from your moving past what would it be um knowing the names and addresses in that diary (laughs) yeah yeah. i'd have said no to going (laughs) (laughs) again long hard think about it i think it's been said before but there's not really anything i would change Because without what I've been through, without having done what I've done, I wouldn't be where I am now. And having done what I've done, it's meant that I've been able to develop a really fantastic team around me now that I've got 100% faith in. I know if I'm not here, I don't need to worry. 
And if they do call me, it's because there's an issue that they just generally want back up on it. Yeah. And I think that's a marvellous position to be in. If, if I was going to change one thing when I was younger and keener, it probably would have been to have started up on my own. But I can't moan about where I am and what I'm doing. I am a shareholder in Reeves, so it's to a large extent my own business here as well. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully you're left alone to run it how you want to run it. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your high point of being within the industry? <laughs> the problem with your lovely long-running series, Colin, is most people have said the things that you're going to say for the high points and things. Well, that's so fine. The places I've been and the people I've met have been real high points. I've met some fantastic people over the years. It's an industry that's given me a career. It's given me a relatively nice lifestyle. I do what I want when I want to. Proper high points. I think being voted onto the board of BMI was lovely. Your colleagues putting their faith in you to take up that role. And that was a proper proud moment for me. And you're still on the BMI board? No. As I think your last podcast said. We ah, you only last for a number of years. Yes. We only do six years. Correct. I did manage seven, but... <laughs> That was for varying timing issues, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, you only do six years and then you're off. Can you go back on afterwards, though? You can, yeah. All right. Yeah. So you need six years off and then you can go back on for another six years? Not immediately. You have to have at least <laughs> a year off and there has to be yeah. a position there. So yeah, which yeah. there won't be after a year because if someone's replacing you, then they're off yeah. for three anyway. So. Yeah. But certainly the places I've been, the people I've met from all over the world. But it's interesting that you say... Previous guests have said the same, and they have. But for anybody looking to come into the industry, that is a really good high point to have. It's the friendship that you're going to make and and the places that you're going to visit, whether it be just in the UK or whether it be in Europe as well. Mm. Just traveling around. It could just be your local area. You're going to see some fantastic buildings, move some amazing objects and meet some wonderful people. Yeah, absolutely. And even, as we said earlier on, I started off on the road. I went all over Europe. I got the chance to travel all over Europe as a single man. It was fantastic. Yeah, we lived in a lorry, but <laughs> I've been to most countries now and it, it was a great life. Yeah. Maybe that's what we need to tell the youngsters and bring them into the industry by telling them, you know, you will travel, you will, yeah. you'll learn an awful lot in the industry. As lots of people said, it's a very diverse industry and it's much more diverse than anybody can imagine until you're actually in it. Absolutely spot on with that. So what one thing would you change within the moving industry? What one thing would I change? Regulations being there, professionalism, everybody thinks. But I have a personal thing about the professionalism that it has to start with us. I hear, and I probably get came for this, but I've heard lots of people on this podcast and through the, the industry saying we need to be more professional, we need to do that. And I think it needs to start with us. And that starts with you employ your staff. You don't say we're going to be professional and then the next day put agency staff out on the move. You treat the customer with, as if it's a professional industry. You treat the staff as if they're professionals. So you don't expect them to be working till nine, ten o'clock at night. You do everything to treat them like proper people. And that means that they have a home life. Lots of people have mentioned the fact that the people today don't want to do the hours. No, nobody wants to work those hours. 
if you're having to regularly do till eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, then you either need more staff or you're doing something wrong. Absolutely. My guys have families. They want to see their families. I read it on a Facebook post the other day, and the comment was, well, that's us with the keys at five o'clock. At least the solicitor will get to see his family. So treat your staff the same. It's not your fault. And you have to treat the guys like they are professionals working in a professional industry. So the one thing I would change is is that we stand up for ourselves. If those keys aren't there at half four, then we bring it back. Let the guys go home. I know exactly what you're saying. It's hard for the customer, but until until the conveyances and estate agents in this world start getting those people, it's nothing we say or do is ever going to change their opinions because they don't care. Their job's done. Once that customer starts screaming at them because they haven't done their job, and because we've quite rightly said, really sorry, but we've run out of hours. We can't, we can't be there that long. And I know there's people now that will take that and, and use it against us and say, well, they will, if you're quoting against them, they'll, they'll just leave. But that's not the way it's done. There are ways of doing it. But there are ways of saying, to, and there are times when you have to say to the customer, I'm really sorry, but it's not fair to my staff. And until you start treating the guys with respect and with as if they are professionals, then nothing. So that's the one thing I would change is that we stand up and we start acting more professionally. Is it also a case that we don't want to let the customer down? We feel a no, duty? No, we don't. We do feel a duty and we do because we're far more intimate with people than most other professions. Oh, absolutely. As it was mentioned the other day, we go into a house and we will move your knicker drawer. Yeah. Who else does that? No plumber does that. No. But at the same time, you say, is it because we feel a duty to the customer? Don't we feel a duty to the staff that we employ? Yeah, totally. It's stuck between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. And those staff are either, they won't hang around if they're constantly doing that and being asked to do ridiculous hours. It's a pet thing of mine is, is that we full-time staff, fully paid, on contract. That's all we put out on the move. And they get treated with respect. And they don't go till 9, 10 o'clock at night. And no, there'll be times when someone says, can you do the job in a day? No, we can't because I'm not asking the guys to do that. So I think that professionalism starts with us and has to start with us. But how can we get the conveyances to change? We won't. The customers will. It's the customer. The conveyances won't listen to us. It doesn't matter because whatever happens, their life is the same. But when a customer starts screaming at them down the phone, we start talking to the customers. If the keys aren't there, we start talking to them at two o'clock. We're not going to pull away at two. and I'm not saying that. But constantly then we're saying, look, there is a deadline on this. You need to be telling your conveyances. Yeah. So when the customer starts screaming at the conveyancer, because that deadline's approaching, it's surprising how often they get their fingers out then. But we need the customers to do it, but we've got to stand by what we say. Yeah. Possibly a little bit controversial because you say we have a, a real duty to our customers. But at the same time, I think we've got just as big a duty to our staff. Well, yeah, we have a duty to both. At the end of the day, if you're going to tell the client, I'm really sorry, but we can't deliver, we're going to run out of hours, and you take the goods back to the warehouse and you unload it, the chances are you're probably not going to be able to deliver the following day. No. 
So the customers put out not just for that afternoon stroke evening, they're, they're going to be put out for a few days, aren't they? That's yeah. the big issue here. And, and it won't be the conveyances that will get the blame for that. It'll be you guys because you didn't deliver because the customer won't see it as being the conveyances fault. But if you're starting to talk to the customer right from early on in the process, then they yeah. start to see that it is not yeah. their fault. Yeah. And yeah. likewise, it's not my yeah. guy's fault and it's not our fault. Yeah. But once the customer starts shouting at them, then they start taking notice. Then they start sitting up and... If they can get back in touch with their conveyances. Who... If they can get back in touch with them. <laughs> you know what they're like. Yeah. Apparently they're all busy. Yeah. But I think it is very much that we need to start acting more professionally before we start shouting and screaming at other people. Yeah. And that's not across everybody by any means at all. There are lots and lots of companies out there that act the same. But when you've got guys on day rates to be there till nine, ten o'clock at night or just agency staff being paid by the hour, never going to come back and do it again, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You don't care about what their feelings are, but you want to start attracting people in to make a professional industry, then we need to all stand up and do this. Yeah, they need to be working consistent hours rather than all of a sudden on a Monday night, they're not getting home till nine o'clock and then the same happens again on a Tuesday and then it happens again on a Thursday and yeah. You're going to get fed up of it after a while. Yeah. And you may very well get the Wednesday that they finish at three and you can see yeah. them home, but that doesn't make up for no. being out till nine, ten o'clock at night and then having to be back at work at seven o'clock the next morning. Yeah. So what advice would you give to yourself just starting out in the industry? Very much learn what we do. <laughs> get a grounding in it. Do you think we should start right from portering? No. No, I don't think it should start from there. It doesn't need to start from there, but understand it. Right. Do some of it. Was it Mark said? Go out on the tools. Yes. From there, then properly learn accounts and know your numbers. And also learn the legalities of the industry. Make sure you understand the contracts that you're actually asking people to sign. Something I learned from a very early stage was to to know the legals and make sure you listen and learn from those people that you're working with that have been in the industry for a while or went before you yeah the ones that went before you who are still around thank goodness and we still learn from yeah and don't be afraid to ask them exactly exactly because they actually do love helping yeah, absolutely. Those that have been around for a long time who are not ready to hang up their no, boots yet, they, they are love being than, asked. More than happy to pass on their knowledge. Yeah. And even I, I get people ringing me up all the time for advice on different bits and pieces. I don't know why. It's usually employment law, but um, <laughs> <laughs> get the most boring bits. But I, I love people ringing me up for advice and asking for help. Yeah. It gives something back as well to the industry. Yeah. I love being able to pass knowledge on as well. So So where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years? Let's start Um, with you. Where do you see you in five years then, Andy? Doing a follow-up to this, probably. (laughs) (laughs) With the first question, what's changed? Not a lot, really. Probably still moaning about hours we're working. Um, I don't think the industry is going to change an awful lot in the next five years personally i think we're heading for a rocky patch i believe i think we are going to endeavor 
to satisfy the the green issue within our industry, whether we'll achieve it, because I've been working a lot on that myself as well. And the messages are massively mixed. Is that with regards to vehicles or, or materials or both? Materials. I don't think there's going to be a worthwhile vehicle offering within the next five years. Yeah. I think that commercial vehicles, unless you're just running locally, aren't going to be sold in the next five years. Too much concentration on cars for that. Materials-wise, I think there's a lot of mixed messages out there from what I've seen. Both types of suppliers on cardboards and plastics and paper all say that the other one's products are less green than their own. It's just a matter of getting the right balance and finding the right thing. So I think within the next five years, there'll be some slight changes to that. But I don't think there's going to be anything massively significant. Me personally, I think I'll still be here and hopefully starting to potentially look to wind down a bit. No chance. Although, if you no chance. If you ask my wife, I'm never going to give up. No, no. <laughs> I agree with your wife. Yeah, I don't think I ever will, to be perfectly honest with you. It's the same old thing. Once you're in this industry, you can't get out. No, and I, I genuinely love the industry. Yeah, and, and it's not a case of you can't get out. It's you don't want to get out. No, it's great. And I still go out now and do the odd job here and there. I was out for a couple of days last week. It's a lot harder now. I would have thought it would be easier now because people, well, I thought people weren't hoarding as much stuff, but I've been told differently we are hoarding more. Oh, they are. Why why do you think we're all building self stores? They've spilled out of our houses. (laughs) Yeah, and they're hiding it at our places, (laughs) which is great. Absolutely no issues at all with people being hoarders. As long as they hoard it in your self-storage facility. Absolutely. Yeah, and they can leave it there for as long as they like. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I'll still be here for quite some time. (laughs) And I don't think there's going to be a massive number of issues. I think technology will come more into it. We've always tried to embrace things as they came along. Ever since we, as you are fully aware, with your wonderful product, we fully embrace electronic surveys and have done for a long time. As much as we can, we've moved the office over to a paperless office now where we have hardly any paper or filing cabinets hanging around here. Very, very little. We give everybody the opportunity to do a video or an in-person call now. So that's now down to about 75% in-person, 25% on video. Right. And I love video servers. I think they're great. They've got massive green credentials. If they're done properly, they are no different than visiting a house. That's just down to learning and training. I might have to get you to do a video survey with me one day because I don't, I'm not a fan of them. But you might be able to convince me otherwise. I'd more than happily run through exactly what we do on one. I'll be honest with you, with ours, I don't do the survey during the video. I concentrate on the video survey itself. And then we use the video afterwards to do the survey. I think there's a perceived issue of having a customer standing in a corner just holding their phone whilst we're trying to work out what's in the property, which is all right when you're face-to-face with them, but if you're just standing there in silence on a video survey, it's awkward. Whereas if you use it to actually concentrate on what the customer's telling you and asking to see everything and then do the actual survey afterwards, it's a lot cleaner for the customer and gives you more opportunity to chat with them. I'm going to have to get you to do one on... (laughs) 
You are not convinced about this at all, are you? I'm just not convinced of video surveys. I know people use them and and it works for them. My biggest issue with them is that you just lose that face-to-face conversation and people buy people and you're not going to buy a person over a video survey. Absolutely. Could be wrong. They they clearly work. They clearly work. Yeah, they very much work. And as I said, if you're not spending the whole of the video trying to concentrate on the survey, but you're spending that video talking to the customer about what we're moving for them, how we're going to deal with it, that interaction's there throughout the whole video. Yeah, yeah. It can be fun as well. If you get a customer of the right age, you you still have that banter with them. Turn your phone around, Ethel. I don't want to keep watching you. <laughs> no, it's it's the best, one. the best one that always. If you get a customer of the right age, you say, "Well, let's go upstairs. Do your best, Annika Rice. Let's have a go up there." <laughs> oh dear. So you can still have that banter. You can still have that interaction with them. Yeah. And you can still do a proper survey as long as you don't allow the customer to swing the phone around too quickly and try and hide things from you. Well, I suppose at the end of the day, you can do your, you're doing your survey after it, aren't you? Yeah. You're going back through the video at your own pace, making your Absolutely. own list of items, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. yeah, pause and play, pause and play. It gives you that opportunity to make sure you've got everything. Some customers need to remember there's mirrors in their houses, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Well, maybe save that one for a funny story. There's <laughs> clearly something there. Sometimes it's not that funny, Colin. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Ethel, turn it back to yourself. <laughs> or not, please. <laughs> I want to come back to one thing that you mentioned. Yeah. About the industry. A rocky patch. Yeah. Now, Mark also mentioned this, and I, I'm going to ask you the same question as I asked him. Are you seeing that or is it just the news saying that we could be heading for a recession? I mean, are inquiry levels down? Are the number of jobs that you're doing down? Or are they no. really, really good right now? No. Movement's high. Inquiry levels are still holding up. We have a real bad habit in this country of talking ourselves into things. Yeah, exactly. And that is why I think we're heading for a rocky patch. If we can stop talking ourselves into it, I think things will go back to where they were. There is a supply issue in the market at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. But it's nothing that I haven't seen before over the years. You have this, I mean, I don't know what the rest of the country's like, but locally here, estate agents won't show people a property unless they've sold. So unless they're in a position to buy, the estate agents just won't show them the property. The problem that causes is it's a proper catch-22 situation where you have people say, well, I'm not going to put mine on the market until I found somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you can't go and look at anywhere unless you've sold. So that cuts the supply off. What happens and what I've seen a little bit happening around here at the moment is that you get people then, and we know when it happens because the store fills up. Yeah. People say, I've had enough of waiting, I'm just going to sell it and I'll go and rent somewhere yeah. small and put stuff in store and I'll become a cash buyer. All of a sudden, that turns the tap back on for the supply yeah. and things start going back to normal. And that's where I think we're just coming out of. The danger at the moment, if we're heading to a rocky patch, is if we talk ourselves into everything ceasing and everyone shutting down. Mm. Everyone going, oh my God, I need to wait and see what happens and then nothing moves. 
we're very lucky here. We're in an affluent area where since the beginning, I've been surprised around here how many people say to me, oh, we're moving today. What's the completion date? Oh, no, we've already bought it. I'll sell this once I've moved out. Yeah. So we don't have so many, but even here we're seeing that that situation happen with the lack of supply. Mm. And you talk to local estate agents and they say, well, houses sell so quickly, we don't need to show them to people that aren't ready to move. They're right in that because I have a friend who's looking to move and I gave him the details of a property a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday and I asked him on a Monday if he'd booked a visit and he said, no, I phoned on Saturday, it'd been sold. It literally sold within 24 hours. Yeah. And that's why they don't need to show show the properties to people that aren't in a position to move. But once they've sold and come into my store, I get storage out of it. And they've become cash buyers. And and that's when we start seeing that supply come back into the market. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off? Loads of things over the years. <laughs> over the years? What about now? Now I do like fishing and I don't get to do that as often as I'd like. I do like clay pigeon shooting. But lately, uh, you need to hold on to the size of your chair now. I've started running. Hold on, the headset went a bit funny then. Yeah, that's why I said what you need that? to hold on. I've started running a few years ago. Why? Because Petersfield doesn't have Uber? No. <laughs> why, why are we running? It started off as a challenge from my youngest daughter because I said I'd never been able to run. I said I could run all day on a removal, but I've never been able to run along a road. Started off with the, well, if you, if you do it properly, you can. Next thing I know, I'm working my way through couch to 5K. Oh, cool. Which then progressed up to, don't get me wrong, I'm not a runner. I plod. But I can prior to having an injury to my foot, which is caused through running, I'd got up to doing 10 miles, so which is far enough for me. I'm not going for marathons or anything like uh, that. Oh, no, 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 no. See, see you, you milked it up then, and then... Uh, and, uh, 10, miles, 10 miles is a long way. And in, I think it's in October this year, I am due to do the Great South Run as well, which is 10 miles. I was going to mention, isn't that around the 10-mile mark? Yeah, yeah. But I'm also doing the 5K on the Saturday, the 10 miles on the Sunday. But after the 5K, I'm running the two-kilometer children's race with my grandson. Get in. <laughs> Get in. Good on you. So then I'm going to die the following week. No, you won't. No, you won't. You'll be fine. Just about to start learning to paddleboard as well, because living next to the sea, I keep seeing these people serenely wandering around on their paddleboards. So I'm going to uh, see if I can fall off a lot. I'm tempted to try that myself because I, I do yeah. see people on it and it does look like fun. It does look fun when you've got the dog sitting on the front all calm yeah. and serene. And yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more of being wet and underwater. <laughs> and I also have a huge passion, having lived there for most of my life, for local history. Yes. Tell me more about this. Well, tell our listeners more about this because you told me about this a while ago and I was quite shocked. Portsmouth's got a very old history that people don't generally know about. And uh, as we were saying earlier on about passing knowledge on, I do two or three historical tours of Portsmouth, which involve going from pub to pub. (laughs) And this is old Portsmouth or Portsmouth in general? Old Portsmouth, the old part of the city, which is very small. 
We generally have about 15 people. I do a historical walking tour of Portsmouth, going from pub to pub, which generally involves somewhere around about seven or eight. But on the route that we take, there are actually just over 20 that I could get into. (laughs) (laughs) However, I don't think I'd have half the people with me at the end of it if I did. (laughs) So. So, yeah, I do that, and it takes me away from work. It takes my mind off of things. Same as with the guys. I know a lot of people won't agree, but I have a family life as well. So our office shuts at five, unless there's something yep. going wrong. We might start early, but we finish on time. I don't work till late. I go home and have my quality time and have my family time. Yeah, but I think it's good to go home and have your meal time as well, isn't it? You have your dinner time with the family. Sit round the table, yeah. let everybody know what's gone on during the day, have a good chat, put the phones to one side, mm. just have proper family time. Yeah, and I've always felt that, and that's how we operate here as a company. Mm. Very good. Well, finally, I like to end my podcast with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? Well, over the years, there's been lots of things. When we had a chat a little while ago, I was telling you about a couple of the, in a sense, they're not overly funny, but um, they don't happen to me or to people I know, so they become funny, don't they? So (laughs) there's one thing our industry loves is a good divorce, generally because we get two moves out of it. (laughs) (laughs) And one of them is normally coming into store including the people that came into store during furlough when they turned up with their stuff in the back of the car. And no. it was, what did you do? Oh, she caught me on the phone with a girlfriend. Oh, no. You're living together. Don't do it. <laughs> but over the years, we've had a, a few incidences where the gentleman of the house has turned up whilst we're halfway through emptying it. <laughs> but I think the two... What, completely that, unaware? Oh, completely unaware. <laughs> but I think the two that really stand out were we had one job that we loaded a 40-foot container to South Africa and everything was absolutely fine. We'd finished the container. The container had gone. We were just doing the last bits of paperwork with the customer when the gentleman walked out the house with his suitcase. His wife said, oh, just a minute. I'm just signing the paperwork and I'll be with you. He just looked at her in front of the guys and said, don't know why I haven't booked you a ticket. And that was the first she knew about it. Oh, just, <laughs> just for the brave. just for the sake Very of um, oh, he just left in the taxi. He was gone. But oh my word! One story the other way as well. We had a job coming into <laughs> store and loading for Dubai, and as we were going through, it's like that's the store. This is for Dubai. That's the store. So we split all the consignment into two lots. And on the last day, the lady said to us, right, everything that you've got labelled for store, can you label for me? And then next thing I know, I got a phone call from the husband saying, apparently you've got my stuff in containers labelled for Dubai. She said she's not coming. And that was the the first we knew. So I became the gentleman's best friend after that because he didn't have anybody else to talk to. Oh, my word. They're not particularly... Funny for the people involved, but from us sitting in the background, they are. Oh, dear. This industry brings out some wonderful stories, but 
Oh. It must happen an awful lot, though, when people yeah. divorce, they need to obviously move out. You're going to need more than one truck. Just generally, though, they've discussed it beforehand. But on both yeah. of those occasions, <laughs> they hadn't. The only other real one was for years ago, we turned up to a job in Holland to collect a soldier's effects from a flat. And he had a very large wall unit like they buy over on the continent when they're over there. And he glued it together. And we'd said to him, there's no way it's going down the stairs. Don't worry about it. He said, I've got my mates coming around in the morning. We're going to lower it down for you. We got there just as they were ready to go. And as they put it over the edge of the balcony, his mate said, I haven't tied it. And then it was on the floor. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, serves them bloody right. Yeah. He did ask us if he could claim on it, and we said no. <laughs> <laughs> Cheek of it. So, Lots of others, but uh, that, that's um, that's probably the two amusing ones that came to mind. Well, Andy, thank you very much for giving up your time this morning to record an episode of Moving Matters with me. I truly appreciate it. No, it's been good fun. It's nice to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 52 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice and please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Andy Shotbolt of Britannia Reeves for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Andy. If you would like to know more about Britannia Reeves and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving. <laughs>